Attention listeners, Astrology Hotline is at war. At war with unanswered astrology questions. We have the weapons, we have the training, but to achieve ultimate victory, we need your help. I want you to take out your phone, open up Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, crush all five stars, and rain down a righteous review of furious satisfaction. I want you to open up Spotify, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, and launch one high-speed thumb of flaming death at that five-star rating. And I want you to find the gnarliest, most insidious astrology question you can find. Email it to astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com so we can slaughter it mercilessly on the show. Together, we can conquer astrology one question at a time. Hello, you're listening to Astrology Hotline. I'm Kyle, and hosting me today is Tristan Paler. Hello. We got an amazing show for y'all today. How are you doing, Tristan? I am very caffeinated. Very caffeinated. I actually quit coffee last year. I was a everyday coffee drinker from the age of about 13 until my early 30s, and uh, quit last year. And I just have green tea to start my day. But this afternoon, I needed a little pick-me-up. So I had maybe half a cup of Earl Grey tea, and I am wired. Oh, that sounds... I See, uh, that's the thing, is that I want to quit coffee just so that I can go back to that. Just so that I can go back to drinking a cup of coffee and feeling amazing afterwards. Because now it's just like I drink a cup of coffee before before bed. <laughs> just I feel out. nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's bad. I love coffee. It's the nectar of the gods, or the nectar of Mars. Mercury. I think it's. I think it coffee is, more mer- is mercury. Yeah. Is central nervous system stimulant that helps you study and hold conversations. Yeah, Austin Kopic once said that coffee is like good mercury remediation, but it's a little bit more like mercury in Aries. It's not like mercury at its most natural state, but it's like more of like a hyper hyper mercury. I think green tea is a good compromise there. Green green tea is like Mercury yeah. in Virgo, and espresso mm. is like Mercury in Aries. Yeah, green tea has what? There's another substance in green tea that counteracts the effects of the caffeine a little bit, so that it it helps you focus without making you feel frazzled. Ah, uh, I don't know anything to get my slow Mercury and Taurus moving. Speaking of which, <laughs> uh, it, it is especially sluggish today. It's Thanksgiving, the day that we are recording in America. And I don't really do Thanksgiving dinner so much, but I do do Thanksgiving breakfast. And I had quite the bacon-induced coma uh, this afternoon. And while the nap was very refreshing, I um, definitely still uh, feeling the effects of that, of that bacon potent stuff it is potent yeah i ate like half a package of bacon it was it was amazing that'll do it (laughs) if you ever need to sleep for several hours in the middle of the day oh i don't need an excuse for that um me neither generally speaking uh shall we i don't have a a fancy interlude for for that but um, (laughs) i'm like trying to think of a clever segue into our first question and it's just not 
it's not, not happening. happening today. So we're just going to awkwardly transition from that conversation <laughs> into our first question, which comes yes. from my buddy Shay. And Shay wants to know uh, more about the difference between trines and sextiles. What what makes a trine distinct from a sextile? What are some of the interpretive differences between these aspects? Because, you know, when we see them described, um, they often seem pretty similar to each other. So what, what makes them distinct? Well, excellent question, Shay. Uh, I love an excuse to just dig into like the minute uh, differences between one thing and another. And hopefully we keep that under an hour today. But um, no guarantees. Yeah, no, no guarantees on that. Because maybe one of the, the ways that uh, traditionally trines and, and sextiles were distinguished was that um, trines are of the nature of Jupiter and sextiles are of the nature of Venus. And I think part of the way that that ends up sort of differentiating them is that, you know, Venus is the lesser benefic. Uh, lesser in, in the sense that it's closer to the sun and its um, orbit isn't as large. It's part of the, in, the inner solar system while Jupiter uh, has, you know, that big grandiose orbit of 12 years. And so, you know, it's not that one is, is better than the other one. It's just that that. <laughs> it's, it's a matter of scale as yeah. opposed to a matter of superiority or strength or what have you. Yeah. But, you know, maybe we should distinguish the, the definition of, of a trine and a sextile. And that is that a way. good idea. So aspects happen between signs that have something in common with one another. In the case of a trine, they have an element in common with one another. And they sit, you know, they're signs that sit roughly 120 degrees apart on the wheel. So they form a triangular shape. So for example, um, the earth signs are all trying one another. So if a planet is in Capricorn and another planet is in Taurus, those planets are trying. In the case of a sextile, it is the polarity that the two signs share in common. So you have two polarities in astrology. I tend to refer to them as diurnal and nocturnal. Some people refer to them as masculine and feminine. I, for obvious reasons, am not super fond of that distinction. So I use mm -hmm. diurnal and nocturnal. And the diurnal uh, signs are of the fire and air element. They're more active and outward focused. They're more externally focused. The nocturnal signs are the water and earth signs that are more internally focused and more uh, passive. So if two signs have their polarity in common and they're not opposite to each other, then they are sextile. And signs that are sextile, you know, when you look at them on the zodiac wheel, they form a hexagon. And so if you have a planet in Capricorn and you have a planet in Scorpio, um, because they share a polarity, they are sextile one another. Even though they are different elements and different modes, they have that polarity in common, and so they are sextile. They have one sign in between them. That's it, yeah. 
that's another way of of looking at it two signs that have one sign in between them and then there's also the, the degree based way of looking at a sextile while you know traditionally and, and Tristan and I probably go more this way is that we would emphasize the sign relationship um, but the closer they get in degree to that aspect you know the more just the more intense that relationship is so uh, a sextile would be a, a, div a division of the zodiac by six which would be 60 degrees so planets that are 60 degrees apart from each other are sextile but then you know sometimes you can get into fuzzy territory where you know you'll get uh one planet at the very beginning of a sign and the other at the very end and e they'll be in a very close degree based aspect but they're not in um like a sign based relationship so we'll say like uh a planet say you know venus is in pisces at 29 degrees and mercury is in gemini at zero degrees in 30 minutes you know they're in a very close uh degree based sextile but because you know the sign relationship those are our square signs more traditionally minded astrologers wouldn't say that they're sextile that they are actually square but um yeah that that can become you know it's almost like a, a open up for interpretation i guess <laughs> for, yeah there are for... different different approaches and I think, you know, Kyle and I both take the, we emphasize the sign relationship over the degree relationship. And, you know, as yeah. Kyle said, the closer they are by degree, uh, it's a matter of intensity. So mm -hmm. if, uh, if a planet is in Capricorn and another planet is in Pisces, those two planets are sextile, even if one is at zero degrees and the other's at 29. But the closer they are to being exactly 60 degrees apart, the more sort of intense and significant that relationship is and the more that aspect will um, be sort of central to the chart and more visible in a person's life. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking at aspects in your chart, um, start by looking at the ones that are the closest by degree because those are usually the ones that like the planets are really trying to tell you something when yeah. the aspects are that close. They're like, pay attention mm -hmm. to this relationship between these two areas of your life. It's really significant. Yeah, totally. And um, sort of on that note, well, it's, it's sort of maybe how trines and sextiles are sort of dif d traditionally differentiated. That uh, sextile, you know, it's half of a trine. Uh, if you divide the zodiac 360 degrees by three, you get 120 degrees, which is the you know the strongest degree-based aspect of a trine. But if you cut that in half, you get a sextile 60 degrees. A lot of the ways that uh, it's described in a lot of traditional liter literature, um, the way it's used a lot still is that sextiles have the sort of ease and cooperative nature of a trine, but they're just not as strong. They're about half as strong as a trine. Um, and it's not like a, a useless distinction. I just, I don't, it can be a bit of a, an oversimplification. Do you agree? I am not a huge fan of the idea that sextiles are weaker. Yeah, um, I, I like but... sextiles. Yeah, I I am gonna I'm gonna die on that hill. But before I die on that hill, um, just to to go over uh, the basics a little bit more before to 
In order to understand conceptually the difference between trines and sextiles, it helps to understand, um, you know, like Kyle was saying earlier, the trine is of the nature of Jupiter and the sextile is of the nature of Venus. But why is that the case? So understanding mm -hmm. um, why that's the case is helpful. And then remembering that distinction is helpful when you're considering the difference. So the reasoning for all, all of the aspects uh, have the nature of either a benefic or a malefic planet. Um, squares and oppositions and trines and sextiles, all of those four aspects have the nature of a planet. And knowing what that nature is can help you to interpret that aspect and what kind of relationship is going on between the planets that are aspecting each other. Mm -hmm. And the rationale for those associations between, say, Jupiter and the trine comes from the domicile assignment system, which is that every planet uh, or every sign is ruled by a planet. And if you uh, draw up a zodiac wheel and you um, place the planets in their domiciles on a zodiac wheel, so you know you put Saturn in Capricorn and Aquarius, and you put the Sun in Leo, and you put Mars in Scorpio and Aries, and you look at that wheel um, and you look at the sun and the moon, the sun and the moon are aspecting um, the benefic and malefic planets in a certain way. And this is, it's a hard thing to explain without a visual, so I'll include a, a visual of this in the show notes. And if you pull up the show notes and, and look at it, it's, it's really easy to see. Um, because the sun and the moon are so central to astrology, they're sort of like, they're the sources of light and the power centers in astrology. Um, the, the focus is on them and the aspects they make to um, the benefic and malefic planets by domicile. So, you know, the sun in Leo makes a trine to Jupiter's domicile of Sagittarius because they're both fire signs. And... Um, the sun in Leo makes a sextile aspect to Venus in Libra. Um, and the moon in Cancer makes a sextile to Venus in Taurus. And the moon in Cancer makes a trine to Jupiter in Pisces. So when you look at the, the rulerships of the signs by the planets, you can see these aspect-based relationships from the sun and the moon to the other planets. And that's where ancient astrologers um, came up with the rationale that the trine is particularly of the nature of Jupiter and the sextile is particularly of the nature of Venus because those their domiciles make those aspects to the domiciles of the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, 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 I really do like um, using as you can probably tell just from listening to the show, is that we do reference that a lot. You know, if we're talking about squares, we'll say, oh, well, squares of the nature of Mars. Well, it's not the only dimension to look at the nature of an aspect through, but it can be a very useful one, um, especially when you're trying to maybe differentiate the qualities of, say, a trine and a sextile. But if you're going with, you know, a trine being the nature of Jupiter, 
what is the nature of Jupiter? Uh, Jupiter stabilizes and it also induces growth and expansion um, while Venus harmonizes. Also has a, a stabilizing quality. Both the benefics tend to stabilize things. But uh, Venus brings things together, takes one thing, matches it with another thing, and combines them in ways that are pleasing to people. And I think that that distinction becomes really useful with, say, a sextile, because you're, you're dealing with two signs that have something in common when it comes to polarity, right? Say Capricorn and Scorpio. Uh, Scorpio is a water sign, um, while Capricorn is an earth sign. So they're both what you'd call nocturnal or uh, some would say feminine or uh, I always get yin and yang mixed up. <laughs> I don't know which one's which. Uh, but, you know, they're, I like nocturnal and diurnal the most. But uh, they have that in common. So, But they're also different. You know, earth and water are two different things. And while, you know, a trine brings together two signs that are of the same element, so there's an inherent compatibility already there. It's just like, oh, Earth combined with more Earth. Together, we make more Earth. While, you know, Earth combined with water, you know, is going to create something different, something new, something maybe a little more dynamic. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys in how I interpret the difference between trines and sextiles is that Signs that are trying to one another have two things in common. If mm -hmm. two um, signs are of the same element, that means they are also of the same polarity. Two water yeah. signs are also both nocturnal signs, whereas with the sextile, um, the signs involved don't have elements in common. They only have polarity in common. So they have one less feature in common with one another. So there are more sort of differences between them, and that is what Venus does is um, brings things together that, you know, where there are, there are differences between them, but Venus is able to harmonize those differences so that they work together in unity. Yeah. That's why I also don't like to say that trines are more powerful than sextiles because they, they do slightly different things. You know, they, um, a sextile requires maybe a little more, that's what I'm looking for, active involvement, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the two planets are, you know, conversing with each other through a sextile. They both have like slightly different ideas of how they want to go about doing things. So there is some compromise involved. There's some um, exchange and interplay. And you'll get that with a trine as well, but it's just maybe, um, I don't know, there's something more creative, I think, about sextiles or something more... Um, there's just more creative interplay between the, the the two signs because there there is more more of a difference. I've I think it's really interesting that sort of interpretive principle that because mathematically a sextile is half a trine, it's weaker. And yet mm -hmm. what I've learned about Hellenistic astrology, I don't see that case being made for squares and oppositions. Mm -hmm. A square, especially an overcoming square where one sign or one planet is earlier um, in the zodiac than the other, which it is squaring, is considered one of the most powerful aspects possible. Yeah. Um, 
And yet, mathematically, a square is half of an opposition.、Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't help but feel like there's a bit of sexism going on in the. Oh, there's tons sex of tiles being weaker, <laughs> right? Where、yeah. you know Venus is traditionally considered feminine and associated with women, and Jupiter is traditionally considered masculine and associated with male authority. And so somehow the Venus's aspect is weaker than Jupiter's aspect. I just this is why this is a hill I'll die on. I don't I don't think sex tiles are weaker. I think that they they have a different interpretation, but they're not weaker.、Um, I think that. What really distinguishes trines and sextiles is more a matter of scale,、um, and I think that can the same can be said for squares and oppositions, where a square is of the nature of Mars and an opposition is of the nature of Saturn. You know, Mars is the lesser malefic and Saturn's the greater malefic, not because one is superior, but because Saturn has the wider orbit and is farther away,、um, takes more time to move through the zodiac. So. Jupiter and Saturn tend to represent things on a larger scale than Venus and Mars do, and you know a, an interpretive distinction that is probably familiar to a lot of people、um, who know basic astrology is that Venus and Mars tend to be interpreted as having more to do with personal issues, and Jupiter and Saturn are interpreted as having more to do with societal issues. And I think that interpretive distinction is、um, part of the difference between the trine and the sextile, where、um, you know both both aspects are considered to be beneficial and supportive and cooperative. And in the case of a trine, I tend to think you know it represents benefits and privileges and opportunities that you get you know through. Social institutions, or through your position in your culture, or in your society, you know, or in a fairly large institution. Whereas sextiles, being of the nature of Venus, represent more、um, benefits that come through one-on-one interpersonal relationships or small group dynamics, like your group of of personal friends that you are around because you have a personal connection with them.、Mm-hmm. You know, or you grew up with them. You have things in common with them, as opposed to、um, more Jupiter-style social connections, which might be, you know, members of your political party, members of your church, members of your university.、Um, you know, people in positions of、uh, political power in your society.、Um, those are the more Jupitery relationships. So, if you're looking at a trine in your chart.、Um, The the benefit might be coming from, say, a university professor, or、um, an opportunity that you got through, you know, a government program or a community program on a large scale.、Um, just like your socioeconomic status. Yeah, your socioeconomic status as well.、Um, whereas, you know, a benefit that you receive from Venus might be a benefit that you receive from a romantic partner, or a close friend, or a neighbor, or a sibling, or a family member.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and through like maybe more one-on-one yeah interaction, like you said, I think that was perfect actually. Point、um, actually made me think because the, the speaking of the sort of sexism in in the description of of、uh, a lot of、uh, <laughs> of astrology, but trines, you know, when you think of、uh, I don't know, we had like a, a, I mean, traditionally like male managers or, or 
if you watch the show Mad Men, um, you know, people get sort of hired because they're, they fit in, you know, with the, uh, the established authority, right? They, they, um, they're part of the boys club, you know, it's kind of like what a trine is like. It's, you know, you're, oh, you're, you're in, you're in this, this group, you're in this clique, you're in this club, and we are going to, uh, support you in elevating you in status because you're one of us. While, um, uh, sextile can be a bit more like, uh, my experience of having, not that this is, you know, strictly something that only women do or only men do, but I know a lot of like female managers I've had have been, um, they're like, oh, I see, you know, I see this about you and let's, you know, have a meeting and talk about how we can make this thing about you work, how you can emphasize this, how you can, uh, bring more value to the team and, and yourself. Like, I don't know, there, there's more of a, a one-on-one exchange and more of a fostering what is maybe individual, what is, is unique and special, which I think was a, g- a good point you were making about the kind of benefits from social institutions and things like that. It's like a try and will stabilize and affirm what already is and kind of keep that going and build off of that while a sextile will sort of build and emphasize, you know, specific things more. It's more collaborative. Collaborative, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think sextiles are are more collaborative mm-hmm. than trines. It's it's more of a, a matter of co-creation. Like two people are making something together and the trine is a little more sort of top down potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just reading uh Vertorius has this really great section. In um, Carmen Astrologicum, um, where he's describing uh, aspects between different planets. And, you know, like Mars, uh, Trine, Jupiter, is like being born of like a noble family, like a history of, in the military. And it's like, oh, you're, you know, your father was a general and now you're going to be a general too. And you're like part of the, that, that institution, you know, it's like being born into the institution, being born into privilege and status which he actually doesn't really have i, I don't think that there is a ton about sextiles <laughs> just ignore yeah, they, those <laughs> like they oh, totally, sextiles, yeah. they totally get ignored and yet I in know. my own practice i see them working really powerfully and often i think more sustainably yeah because i think that you know i think the difference in style a little bit between venus and jupiter is say like venus and jupiter both want to help you with your problems they both want to smooth over difficulties, and but they both have different ways of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just to give a hypothetical example, you have to solve a riddle in order to reach a goal. And um, Venus is going to give you hints. Venus is, is going to empower you to solve the riddle yourself. Jupiter is just going to slide in there and give you the answer. That's perfect, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And, and it's like, you know, both those forms of help, like there, there are times where your back is really up against the wall and you need Jupiter, but in the long run, Venus's help is actually a lot more sustainable because she's teaching you how to help yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Giving you hints to solve the riddle is helping you to solve it on your own. And the next time you come up against that problem, you're going to be better equipped to solve it yourself. And if Jupiter isn't there to bail you out for whatever reason, 
you still have the capacity of doing it because you had that pre- previous help from Venus. Yeah. No, that's uh, I, I love that. that. That's perfect analogy. Um, I even find that, you know, just like uh, looking at charts, like, I don't know if you notice the same thing, but like sextiles in which Venus is involved seem to be more powerful. They seem to be more visible in, in the life. Like you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's there. Like, for example, Shay's uh, Shay's chart. She has this uh, lovely uh, Venus in Libra sextile Saturn in Sagittarius, which I love because uh, I've seen this one before. It's one of my favorites, um, but it's also, uh, you know, there's reception involved. But I think Venus, you know, works really well through sextiles because it's it's like her tool, you know. It's like, oh, I know what yeah. to do here. I know how to make this work. That is a really, really good point. I think that's a a good thing to keep in mind when you're interpreting aspects. You know, if you see a trine involving Jupiter, that is especially powerful. And if you see a sextile involving Venus, that's especially powerful for exactly mm-hmm. that reason. Like that, those are their tools. Yeah. Um, they they are the best equipped to know how to use them. Venus mm-hmm. is best equipped to know how to make the most out of a sextile. So, you know, a a sextile from Venus might even be more powerful than a trine between, you know, two other planets. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, a trine, a trine from or a sextile from Venus might be more powerful than, you know, a trine between the sun and the moon or something, because Mm Jupiter is not involved in that trine, but Venus is involved in the sextile. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's um, something that I just end up noticing more and more is that really like digging into the planets that are involved in an aspect is really going to be essential to how you interpret it, interpret them. You know, you get things like reception, you know, uh, the signs that they're in, their relationships to the signs, the, their relationships to each other's signs, but just the planets themselves. Um, yeah, I've got an extremely close Venus sextile with Mercury in my chart mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, maybe that's part of the reason why sextiles are just as powerful as trines as a hill that I will die on is that I'm <laughs> very attached to that configuration in my own chart. Um, because I have Venus in the, in the 12th house where, you know, it's, it's not really supposed to be visible or capable of doing much. Um, and that is not at all true in my life. And I have, uh, Venus is doing a lot in my life and, I have, you know, Mercury up in the 10th house where it's very visible and there's an extremely close applying sextile between Venus and Mercury in my chart. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer and that is like a big writing, writing and talking and um, doing that in a very Venusy way is basically how I make my way through this world. (laughs) Um, I think that that sextile in my chart is extremely important to the overall trajectory of my life and what I do and and um, how I find uh, meaning in my life. Yeah, I, I find that um, that sextile becomes very evident to me uh, as the one who edits the show. And, uh, you know, my levels are often <laughs> either very loud or or very quiet or... Um, I require a lot more editing <laughs> than Tristan does. <laughs> uh, Tristan's levels are always nice and even and smooth. Um, and one of us has a 
Mercury sextile Venus, and the other one does not. And I bet you uh, the one it's that's pretty obvious who who who's <laughs> who's who in that situation. <laughs> yeah, Venus tends to smooth things over, which is also funny because I have. Mercury and Aries, which should be harsh and loud and extreme and all over the place. But Venus is like, no, no, shh, shh, it's okay. And Venus mm-hmm. is like giving it a little bit of balance and, and mm-hmm. soothing it a little bit, um, you know, making it a little more tactful. Yeah. I think, you know, what's going on in the head of a Mercury and Aries, uh, if that was revealed to the world with no filter, would be <laughs> a, a lot for the world to handle. But Venus is a very good, you know, you should maybe think about that, like maybe workshop that yeah, statement a little bit before you say it out loud, you know, yeah. just think about how that might make somebody else feel. Um, Shay was kind enough to share her chart with us if we wanted to use it as, as an example of how we would interpret trines and sextiles differently. And uh, yeah. Kyle already pointed out the the really nice sextile in her chart, which will also be in the show notes if anyone wants to look at it and follow along. Um, she has that really nice sextile between Venus and Libra and Saturn and Sagittarius. And Venus is in the 12th house and Saturn is in the second. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting sextile because it's creating a relationship between the 12th house, which is, you know, how we deal with suffering and delays and hardship and uh, feeling stuck and all that. And the second house is resources and livelihood, how we how we make a living, how we pay the bills. Um, and something I find interesting about that, just like knowing Shay is um, how she's been able to adapt um, <clears throat> the pandemic has has changed what work looks like for pretty much all of us. And um, she's been able to adapt um, to a new way of working in her field. And, you know, I look at that sextile and I think that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Where it's like, you know, the 12th house is sort of the, I mean, it's it's where we are when we're in lockdown. um, But, you know, Saturn and Venus working together in the 12th and second houses are kind of able to make the most of a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like one thing that, um, that I often forget about the 12th house and that tends to get kind of left out, but it's actually an important part of, uh, of what the 12th house is about is um, foreign and, and unfamiliar experiences. It's like being in a, in a situation that is, is just completely unfamiliar and there, there's no... Um, I don't know, it's like showing up in a foreign country uh, where you don't speak the language and you don't know anyone. Uh, it's like kind of that sort of situation can be that situation. And what you described actually fits in really well. It's like, oh, well, this we have this whole new situation um, that nobody really knows how to deal with yet. Um, but Venus is there like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I know what to do. Uh, or I can I can adapt to this. And while Saturn, you know, on its own might create some delays and difficulties uh, in the realm of, of say finances, you know, Venus is kind of there to like, Oh, well, we have this strange situation and, and maybe we can um, use this to as an opportunity or, or find some way to harmonize what's going on now 
in the strange new world that we're living in and maybe find a way to um, make make a, a livelihood for ourselves. And I think it's a good it's a good example of creative solutions being one of the significations of the sextile. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, the trine I'm looking at in Shay's chart, she's really just got one um, trine, sign-based trine between Mars in Virgo in the 11th house. And Saturn and the- Jupiter too, actually. Oh, right. Good point. I keep, you know what, you know what the problem is? I have our Zoom call on oh, the right side part. of Shay's yeah. chart and poor, you know, literally in, in an <laughs> invisible house. This is really funny because Jupiter's in the sixth house in Shay's yeah. chart, which is one of the houses that's invisible from the ascendant. So things there tend to get overlooked a little bit. <laughs> and I put my Zoom call with Kyle right there right over top of the sixth house so i can't see jupiter (laughs) (laughs) actually that that is an even better example of a trine because it involves jupiter so shay's got a sextile that involves venus and a trine that involves jupiter in her chart so she has uh jupiter in aries in the sixth house and it is trine um saturn in sagittarius in the second house and you know if i we're interpreting this, I might focus a little bit more on Jupiter um, is offering benefits Mm -hmm. to Saturn. But whereas, you know, the benefits that Venus is offering to Saturn, I might expect to come from, you know, within Shay herself, um, or from, you know, people uh, sort of in her immediate environment, the benefits from Jupiter that Jupiter is giving to Saturn, I would expect to come more from uh, social institutions or people in positions of authority. And since Jupiter is in the sixth house, I would think, you know, are there ways that um, people in positions of authority in the realm of service in some way have been benefactors uh, for Shay that have contributed to her livelihood? Mm -hmm. Um, And Jupiter is more like, I'm going to give you a gift or I'm going to write you a big check kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a getting funding for, you know, from a getting a grant or something. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, okay, now do what you want. While Venus might want to collaborate more as opposed to like writing you a check uh, to go do your thing. Venus will, you know, be uh, somebody who wants to partner up with you. Yeah. And like, oh, let's work together and combine our talents. Yeah, like a business partner as opposed to a patron. Jupiter's like a patron, and Venus is more like a business partner. Yeah. So then you could look at those houses and say, you know, is there anybody in sort of the 12th house area of my life who um, looks kind of like Venus that um, helps me uh, make a living and, and, you know, attain some financial security? And then, you know, you can look at Jupiter in the sixth and go, hey, is there... Are there any like patrons or mentors or benefactors um, in the sixth house areas of my life who are maybe supporting my ability to make a livelihood? Mm-hmm. That's that is how I would interpret the two of them differently. Yeah, yeah, and you know they they can both um, they can both show up like that too. I mean, it's not going to be always perfectly like that. I don't know. It's like Jupiter isn't only going to represent big institutions and stuff. 
but like yeah, you'll see it more like uh when when those um when big institutions you know play a big role in your life or or you know you get um benefits from uh you know I actually well I'll use a quick example in my own chart it's uh, Jupiter ruling my my ninth house and uh I actually received benefits from my mother being in the military I basically inherited uh, what's called the post 9/11 GI bill and I got to you know got a portion of my education paid for by the government that's like a very Jupiter sort of benefit of just receiving funding uh from you know a larger institution that's a really good example jupiter can also be like you know groups of friends and you can have you know even jupiter people in your life as well some sometimes the astrology plays out in a really hilariously literal way as well Mm -hmm. where jupiter in sagittarius in the sixth house might or sorry jupiter in aries in the sixth house might literally be somebody in your life who's very uh, fiery and Jupitery, like mm-hmm. maybe somebody who has like a prominent Jupiter in Sagittarius or something in their chart, or, you know, someone with like the sun in Aries and Sagittarius rising, who's, you know, they they just really kind of encapsulate the meaning of Jupiter and Aries as a person. And that person yep, appears in your sixth house, you know, mm-hmm. like my, my seventh house ruler is Saturn in Capricorn. Um, and my partner is a Capricorn rising. Sometimes it's just literal. Sometimes yeah. you just meet a Capricorn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, people won't even have placements that are, are related to it, but like your experience of them is like, oh yeah, you seem like this to me. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. I'm experiencing you in very much this sort of planetary energy. Uh, but you know, it doesn't necessarily match up with, with their chart particularly. Yeah. Yeah, there. Unfortunately, there are no hard and fast rules. So the cosmos likes to keep it mysterious. Won't let us have all the answers. It uh, it likes to make us do the work a little bit. You know, doesn't just want to hand us everything. Not even Jupiter will always just hand yeah. us everything on a silver mm-hmm. platter and do all the work for us. Even Jupiter will sometimes be like, "Hey, you know, figure this out yourself. I'll give you, I'll give you something, but you gotta, you gotta work this out. I'm not gonna live your life for you." I think that's I think that's pretty much my my interpretive distinction is you know usually it's more a matter of of scale and of one being more creative and collaborative and the other being more just sort of like a, a gift yeah or a benefactor yeah I think uh, and I'm I'm guilty of this to some degree too um, there's almost like a good reason. Not a good reason, but it makes sense to me like why sextiles tend to get ignored in like transits a lot. Um, it's because they don't show up as like big events as much, you know, they're, they are more like meeting, a, a, you know, like a, a meeting with a person or like a, even just like you coming up with an idea or like, a, I don't know, like um, there's something more day to day about sextiles while, you know, the big hard aspects like. Uh, the big Jupitery aspects, you know, the big visible ones, I guess, like they might, um, the kinds of things that people are looking for in transits are like uh, the windfalls, you know, or the um, big sudden events, you know. So like trines and, and squares are probably going to be more uh, eye grabbing from that perspective. But, um, you know, pay more attention to your sextiles. 
Yeah, I think it's it's interesting how I think one of the reasons perhaps that sextiles get forgotten about is that you can make the same comparison with oppositions and squares that you can make with trines and sextiles yeah. because oppositions are of the nature of Saturn, who's the greater malefic, and squares are of the nature of Mars, who's the lesser malefic. So Mars is more day-to-day, mm-hmm. and Saturn is more large-scale or long-term yeah. events. Mars is more short-term or local mm-hmm. events, you know, just like Venus is more short-term and local events, Jupiter is more large-scale or long-term events. The same distinction happens there um, with the sort of inner benefic and the inner malefic and the outers. Um, but human beings just innately have a bias towards the negative. So while, you know, squares might symbolically be more likely to represent um, challenges that happen on a smaller, more immediate, or more short-term scale, um, we're still going to find those experiences as noticeable and powerful because we just notice the negative more. Um, Whereas with, you know, positive things, we tend to only notice positive things when they're extremely unusual or dramatic (laughs) um, or happened on a very large scale. So, you know, maybe that's that sort of orientation towards the negative is why, like, you know, maybe squares are not actually more powerful than sextiles. We just tend to notice the negative more than the positive, even if it's happening on a smaller scale. Yeah, definitely. Are you going to, you know, come home from work and talk about, you know, the pleasant conversation you had with your your coworker? Or are you going to come home and and talk about the the big blowout that you had, (laughs) the the giant argument? Exactly. Which story is more interesting? You know, most... Most of my Mars transits are like, you know, something something minor breaks down, but it's a huge pain in the yeah. ass and makes me really mm-hmm. angry. Whereas, <laughs> you know, Saturn transits are more like, wow, this is a huge, you know, scale life transition. Yeah. Um, and nonetheless, you know, I'm going to talk about those Mars things as if they're mm-hmm. a big deal. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, it's, I think that, that analogy is really good where, you know, a sextile transit is like having a really pleasant conversation with your coworker and having a square transit mm-hmm. is like getting into an argument with a coworker and really, you know, from the perspective of scale, they're like equally significant events, but you find the negative one more memorable. It's a good reminder to, you know, um, you cherish those like pleasant little moments that you have every day. Those sextile moments of your life where things just kind of like, oh, they fit nicely together. Coming up with a creative solution to to maybe a simple everyday problem. Yeah, I think that the sextile stuff is the the stuff that gives our life meaning and makes our our lives easier and more worth living, but that we really tend to take for granted. Um, You know, we... When when something's always working, we don't notice it until it breaks down, Mm -hmm. right? So it is, you know, thinking, meditating on sextiles is a nice reminder to not take those, those things for granted. I mean, likewise with trines too, you know, you you can take for granted, um, the, uh, just the benefits you have of, you know, if you happen to be fortunate enough to be a middle class white person in North America, you know, you're, you're going to have just inherent benefits from that, that you're definitely going to be taking for granted most of the time. That's a really good point. Yeah, where trines can say a lot about socioeconomic mm-hmm. privilege. 
And that is something that we, we take for granted quite a bit. Yeah. Well, with that, shall we move on to... This episode of Astrology Hotline is brought to you by Newsly. If you're anything like me, you like to stay informed on what's going on in the world. In fact, paying attention to current events and watching how they correlate with transiting planets is a great way to learn astrology. But as you might know, it can be a bit of a struggle to find time to actually sit down and read all the latest articles. But not anymore, thanks to Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles from the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice, liberating those busy thumbs and eyeballs of yours for, you know, that other stuff you gotta do. For the first time in the history of the internet, the web becomes listenable. So. Say goodbye to copying articles and pasting them into Bonzi Buddy. Just browse Newsly for articles from topics of your choice and start playing. And that's not all. With Newsly, you can explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. Now, I know you're probably asking, but Kyle, does it have my favorite podcast, Astrology Hotline? You better believe it does. All you gotta do is download Newsly free from www.newsly.me. And to top it all off, you get a one month free premium subscription by using promo code ASTROLOGY2021. That's astrology with zeros instead of O's, 2021. Stop scrolling and start listening. Now, onto the show. Our second question comes from Mr. Icarus, um, who wrote in to say that he's been having a pretty rough go since about 2011, um, especially in, in the realms of career and finances. Um, he was working in banking and, uh, changed careers to the travel industry. And since the pandemic struck, um, that industry has become pretty dead. And so Mr. Icarus wants to know, uh, what lies ahead and how the upcoming transits and his upcoming solar return, which will happen at the end of December, um, how all of that looks. Well, I'm I'm very sorry to hear that you're you know, having such a rough time, Mr. Icarus. While I can't, you know, promise you that astrology will have all the answers, I certainly um, want to, you know, it's always good to at least get a sense of, you know, what's ahead and see, you know, what we can do to maybe best navigate, uh, you know, the, the problems that we're, we're dealing with. Um, <laughs> so we'll just go over Mr. Icarus's chart here. So we have... Uh, Pisces rising, the ascendant at about 14 degrees, um, with Jupiter ruling the first house in the ninth house in Scorpio, where we also have uh, Venus and Mars in Scorpio. In the 10th house, we have the moon in Sagittarius conjunct the midheaven. Uh, Neptune is also hanging out there as well. And we have the sun in the 11th house in Capricorn about five degrees, uh, with Mercury uh, retrograde applying to the sun at about eight degrees, Capricorn. And then we have uh, Saturn in the third house in Taurus, opposing Mars, Venus, and Jupiter at about 16 degrees. Probably worth noting, yeah. Uranus at 13 degrees of Libra in the eighth house, and then Pluto, um, right on the cusp of Virgo at about 29 degrees. Yeah, I think when it comes to 
looking at transits and any sort of timing technique, uh, it's always best to start with the natal chart yeah. itself and see what kinds of tendencies are present in the natal chart, because those are the things that will become activated according to those timing mm -hmm. techniques. So, you know, just looking at the, the natal chart itself, um, the thing that stands out to me is the opposition between Saturn retrograde in Taurus in the third house opposing all of the planets in Scorpio up in the ninth house, including the ruler of Mr. Icarus's ascendant, uh, which is Jupiter. And uh, as always, Mr. Icarus's chart will be in the show notes um, if anyone wants to follow along with what we're doing. So, you know, a big opposition from Saturn like that to really significant planets um, can definitely indicate... Um, periods of life where life just seems to be put on hold. Jupiter is ruling the ascendant. So Jupiter is a really important planet in this chart to consider for overall life direction and, and how the life just in general tends to go. And it's being opposed by Saturn. Um, it's also the ruler of the midheaven, which of course has to do with one's career and public reputation. So that's Another area of life that's being affected by this Saturn aspect. Um, and Mars in this chart rules the second house, which has to do with livelihood and, and what one does for work and one's personal finances. And that's also mixed up in this opposition from Saturn. So a lot of, you know, there is some indication in the chart itself um, of periods of life that, you know, where you maybe feel kind of stuck, like there's, you know, an obstacle in, in front of every path forward. And, you know, there's, doesn't feel like there's any freedom of movement. Um, this aspect is not the end of the world. There are actually, you know, quite a few factors that, that mitigate it, um, and make it manageable. Um, but it definitely is just an indication that, you know, if, if this part of the chart is being activated, um, you know, those might be some of the experiences that it tends to symbolize. Yeah. Uh, the Mars-Saturn opposition definitely uh, pops out because it's pretty close in aspect. Uh, Mars is about 13 degrees of Scorpio. Uh, Saturn is about 16 degrees of Taurus. So they're applying it's just outside of three degrees three degrees in like four minutes, but it's, uh, you know, those are aspects that, um, while they all matter, they, they're definitely, you know, if they're in that like three degree range, you're going to want to, you know, pay attention because those are going to be big themes. And the thing with, you know, Mars Saturn oppositions, uh, it's like, uh, kind of like the big Mars square, Mars square Saturn that, um, been going through throughout November is it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, an un unstoppable force meets, uh, an immovable object. In some cases, it, you know, it's like running, running, literally running into two obstacles, just obstructions that you, you can't just like bust through. You have to like, it's like the opposition. It's like you have to build a ladder, you know, uh, the thing with Mars, Saturn opposition people is that they, they work hard as hell. I don't know. I've, I'm always impressed actually, um, by how 
I know like early on, like looking at charts, I would look at a Mars Saturn opposition and be like, ooh, you know, I would think like that's just the worst thing ever. But uh, I'd actually know a lot of people with them with Mars Saturn oppositions and they, um, you know, it's a very uh, grindy kind of um, work ethic. Like the, we'll just kind of put a lot of energy and focus uh, into projects and, um, you know, there's almost like a, there can be like an insane amount of endurance too, sometimes to, to, to one's detriment. But, um, you know, having the softer planets, uh, Venus and Jupiter kind of mixed up in there, you know, does create, you know, a mixed bag. Uh, they're there to sort of help and smooth out a little bit, but they're also kind of getting chewed up a little in there. But fortunately, uh, you know, Jupiter and Venus, they're, they're sort of separating from that opposition. So sort of the indication that the ob obstacles will become lessened over time, you know, that they're a little more sur surmountable. Oh, yeah, that that really jumped out at me too. just how um, Venus and Jupiter are up in the ninth house in Scorpio. And um, although they're, you know, present in the same sign as Mars and being opposed by Saturn as well, so kind of mixed up in that whole configuration, they're both moving away. And um, the next aspect Venus will make is uh, conjunction with Jupiter. And the next thing Jupiter would would do is enter its own sign of Sagittarius, because in this chart, it's very close to the end of Scorpio. So there's this sort of like transitional, actually transition is a just major theme of this entire mm -hmm. chart that I think I'm going to end up coming back to again and again over the course of this interpretation. But um, there's a, a transitional theme going on with Venus and Jupiter kind of, you know, going through something that's really challenging and, um, you know, potentially painful or just potentially something that requires a lot of patience and uh, fortitude to endure, but ultimately um, always heading towards greener pastures. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, overall, I mean, the if you have like Mars ruling your, your second house in a day chart, you know, there's just sort of a general indication that there's going to be maybe some challenges around around finances or money or work. Um, but Mars is also, you know, it's in Scorpio. It's <clears throat> very strong in, in its own sign, um, which can be a mixed bag in, in it itself as well. Mars is sort of empowered to create problems a little bit, but it's also empowered to um, be the solution to problems. I think that's maybe something about that that Mars Saturn opposition is that uh, Mars in Scorpio I don't think necessarily wants to just like cut through all the obstacles. Um, I think it would rather like swim around them as opposed to confronting them head on, um, which it can do when it needs to, definitely. But you know, it's like a like Mars in Scorpio. I always think of it's a weird analogy, but if you if you have to go if you had to go to Mordor, you know, uh, you'd want like a ranger escorting you through Mordor, right? The ranger's going to know like, oh, in this village of orcs, I actually don't really know much about Lord of the Rings, so I don't know why I'm using that analogy, but uh, bear with me. Mars in Scorpio would know like, oh, around this rock, there's usually a group of orcs that's going to ambush you. Uh, let's move around that. Or if they do, you know bust out my sword and, and slice through them if necessary, but ideally navigate around the obstacles. 
but the Mars applying to Saturn, like, um, tells me like that, that, that there is sort of a, a need to maybe address certain things head on. Um, I mean, just keeping that in mind, uh, one of the things that really pops out to me about this chart is um, the moon, uh, which is conjunct actually very tightly the, the midheaven uh, in the 10th house in Sagittarius. And overall, that's like a, a powerful place to have any planet, but like the moon, it does make the, the moon very active, but the moon is not in aspect to any other planet, uh, any other visible planet. It's like a lot of different definitions of this, of um, called like the lonely moon. And your moon, Mr. Icarus, doesn't necessarily meet all of those definitions, but just not being in aspect to, to any other planets, there is sort of a, a story there of losing support, you know, uh, potentially isolation. And sometimes, you know, usually the, the remediation for, for the lonely moon is that, you know, you really have to make the effort to sort of seek out and foster, you know, your, your support network. Because there is a tendency to maybe seek isolation or to to not nurture those connections. So I don't know, you know, to what degree that's maybe showed up in your life. If there's maybe been an issue with of you know maybe running into conflicts with people within maybe your support at, at different points, and maybe instead of be trying to reconcile with them, uh, there could just be a sort of avoidance of of them. I don't know, with Saturn ruling the, the 11th house and Mars kind of opposing it. Uh, I don't know, there could have been, you know, maybe falling out, outs with, with groups or organizations that um, it could have been sources of support. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot in this chart to kind of indicate dramatic life transitions. Um, you know, the, the Mars-Saturn opposition being one, um, you know, representing kinds of kind of extremes, especially since... Mars is so well placed in Scorpio. Um, you know, it can be like extreme good and extreme bad. And then Saturn kind of stretches those phases out, yeah. you know, where it's like a, you know, like you've had, it sounds like a 10 year period of pretty extreme difficulty, um, you know, and maybe there are phases, you know, there are 10 year phases of things being great and these sort of dramatic um, transitions between different phases and the moon being so close to like right on top of the mid heaven yeah. um, is definitely another indicator of career changes. The moon is, you know, the fastest moving and most changeable of our celestial bodies. Um, so the moon on the mid heaven can definitely be an indication of, of frequent uh, career changes or changes of reputation or sort of public role. The other part of this chart that stands out to me as fitting in with this overall theme of Dramatic transitions is the conjunction of the sun and Mercury in Capricorn in the 11th house. And this one I don't think is as relevant uh, specifically to career and finances necessarily, um, but it is going to be very relevant to um, upcoming transits and perfections for Mr. Icarus. So, you know, it's, it's what I'm going to be talking about when it comes to, you know, what, what lies ahead. So I want to mention it in the context of the natal chart. Um, Mercury is retrograde in this chart and is diving into the sun. Um, and when it does this, um, when, when Mercury goes 
uh, forms a conjunction like this with the sun, it's, it's part of a larger cycle that happens between Mercury and the sun, and it represents a transitional point um, in that cycle. So Mercury um, in Mr. Icarus's chart is an evening star, uh, which means, you know, it's, uh, it would appear, if it was far enough away from the sun, it would appear in the sky in the evening around sunset. It kind of sets behind the sun. Um, and when it goes retrograde and um, forms a conjunction with the sun, it comes out on the other side as a morning star. And as it gets farther and farther away from the sun, it starts to appear in the morning sky ahead of the sun at sunrise. So there's, it's a very sort of dramatic transition. It's as if Mercury is, you know, literally diving into this fiery furnace and then being reborn. Um, but that transition from evening star to morning star, although, you know, it's, it's a, a challenging experience is also quite optimistic because um, you're sort of going from darkness to light. It's like you have to go through this kind of initiation in order to go from the darkness into the light. And, uh, you know, and Kyle and I were talking about this chart just before we started recording. Um, he pointed out that, you know, it's kind of funny that you're, you wrote in as Mr. Icarus, uh, and Icarus is a mythological story of, you know, a winged figure, actually two winged figures, because it's Icarus and his father Daedalus, um, trying to fly to the sun, um, which is very, you know, that image is very much like Mercury, um, you know, with, with their winged sandals, you know, diving into the, into the sun. Yeah, like any planet. Um, under the beams of the sun is the Icarus theme becomes very relevant, but I would say particularly for Mercury for sure. Yeah. A lot of themes in, in this chart sort of point to that story. You know, you have the, the moon, which is rather lonely right on the midheaven. And, you know, while it's not a, a explicitly a, uh, the exact definition of, uh, it's a Kumudrama yoga. I would read it very similarly, but a lot of the, um, I don't know if you call it remediation, but what these lonely moons are supposed to be good at is maybe not so much the, um, the implementation of things, but in the mentoring of, of others. Because they're, they're so sort of self-directed, uh, the moon, when it's not an aspect, you know, it's, it kind of has its own initiative to go on and... There can be a lot of uh, wandering of the mind, you know, very restless mind, but um, with a, a great ability to focus and become sort of masterful in uh, many different areas. But the implementation of things is where that that moon tends to struggle a bit. And just thinking about how, you know, Icarus is the one that, that flew too close to the sun, uh, but his father has like the mentor, mentor role in that situ situation. I don't know. And then you have, you know, the ruler of both your 10th and your first house in the ninth house, which is a, a house has to do with, you know, spirituality, but also, you know, education, higher education, uh, teaching. There could be a sort of hint in, in it that, you know, moving toward a field in which you're sort of playing mentor to, to somebody else or maybe not having like your hands in the clay as much as like maybe uh, working in partnership with someone who is. 
it's really hard to know how to apply that, like not knowing more details. But, you know, astrology could be a, a possible career track for you as well. <laughs> yeah, that was something I was I was going to suggest too. I think it's interesting that um, in this chart, Mars rules the second house of livelihood and is up in the ninth house. Um, and Jupiter rules the ascendant, which, you know, says a lot about general life direction and is also up in the ninth house. And um, Mr. Icarus became involved in the travel industry, oh, which yeah. is a ninth house signification mm-hmm. and livelihood, you know, the second house being connected to travel. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that has become kind of a dead end in this at least for now age we're living in at least for now but there are other um ninth house topics um including religion astrology teaching and i think astrology is one um where the travel industry has been hit really hard by the pandemic for obvious reasons astrology has actually been flourishing during Mm -hmm. the pandemic um so you know there may be some career options that are still um, in the realm of the ninth house, which, you know, seems to be the direction you head in, um, but that are well adapted to the time period we're living in right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, overall, the chart in and of itself, I mean, sort of points to having lots of options. Um, you know, you have the ruler of the second uh, together with the ruler of the tenth and the first. Uh, in in the ninth house, you know, Jupiter and Mars are they're there together, which is a, usually a good sign of like you can make money doing you know what you aspire to do, what what you love to do. And Venus, uh, what's Venus rule? The third and the eighth. That's <laughs> banking. Both, <laughs> the ba- banking. Both the planets uh, that have to do with finances I, are in I the know. ninth house. Uh, I guess I don't know the full story about why you, you maybe left banking, but banking definitely works there as well. I mean, yeah. there's like lots of different things you can do. And maybe that's sort of the trouble, sort of going back to the the, the lonely moon um, on the midheaven is, you know, having so many options uh, and even like uh, the moon in Sagittarius gets, gets kind of restless, gets bored, you know, doesn't want to get tied down to one thing and, um, you know, wanting to move from one thing to the other, but uh, having a hard time settling that that can be um, an issue. And, you know, and think, uh, you know, Scorpio, it's a fixed sign. You know, having all those planets in Scorpio, the rule of your 10th in Scorpio, is there's sort of like a, a need to stick with something for a long time. Again, I don't know the, the story, maybe what um, triggered the sort of a turn of events that maybe began uh, around 2011. But I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily like uh, think you even need to change, you know, maybe your current career track either. <laughs> you know, you, you could, um, it might be just like a, a manner of waiting which I guess we'll get into when we're sort of forecasting the the upcoming year. In terms of of transits of significance that cropped up maybe in in 2011 when uh, the problems started, there are a couple of things I notice that, you know, might represent larger cycles um, that, you know, are hopefully drawing to a close. The first one is is pretty broad um, because, you know, it would affect everyone born in the Uranus in Libra generation, which is uh, in 2011, you were having uh, the Uranus opposition. So um, in Mr. Icarus's chart, Uranus is in Libra in the eighth house. And in 2011, uh, Uranus was in Aries, um, opposing Uranus in Libra. 
And so everyone who has Uranus and Libra was, you know, experiencing that transit in one way or another. Um, but the way that was playing out in Mr. Icarus's chart specifically is on the axis that has to do with finances and livelihood. Um, so that sort of like upset or upending that Uranus can represent was playing out uh, in the realm of work and finances. Um, and although, you know, it's, it's a generational transit, um, I think that that's actually one of the, the ways that uh, looking at this transit and how it connects to this cycle can be helpful. Um, it may be the case that, you know, other people in your age group were going through similar things around the same time um, and are going through, you know, similar things kind of um, throughout that period as well. And it's one of many indications that keeps popping up as I, you know, look at the timing techniques that reaching out to other people who are going through similar um, circumstances might be a really good thing for you to do right now. Um, you know, there may be people who've um, experienced similar hardships over the last 10 years um, who you might be able to reach out to and make a connection with and, you know, you can help to sort of strengthen each other and, and build a network of support because, um, you know, you're not, you're not going through it alone, which is not at all to minimize the, the uniqueness and the unique challenge of what you are personally going through. But um, sometimes there is, you know, uh, some comfort in, in knowing that like, you're not alone and there are other people um, who understand what you're going through, who you can reach out to. Yeah, uh, I think also notable about uh, that period of um, around 2011, it's actually in November 25th, 2011, there was uh, a solar eclipse uh, in your 10th house. While that eclipse was happening, Mercury was stationing at about 20 degrees, almost exactly conjunct the moon and your midheaven. It's very interesting to me. It just makes me wonder if maybe around that time, if you had I don't know, maybe an idea for like a career change or something that maybe didn't go the way you planned it, or I don't know, it does sort of look like something um, changing, you know, the ending of a chapter in your 10th house. But we're also now, as we're recording, uh, which I believe we should have this episode out by the time of this eclipse um, that's coming up, the last eclipse in, um, in Sagittarius, was that December 4th? I think so. Yeah, I think it is December 4th. Yeah, that could be closing out of a of this cycle maybe for you. It's been the last one. No, it wouldn't have. I don't know. There there you know, the fact that there were just even if it wasn't around that time, um there were eclipses going on in your 10th house uh you know, when uh, things started to go not so well and that's happening again, you know, maybe that that's um and sort of on opposite uh nodes even, you know. It was the north node before, and now it's the south node. Like this could be signaling this sort of uh, closing out of that that cycle. Yeah, that look looking at the nodes um, is one thing that makes me really hopeful because they do represent um, major moments of transition where one thing comes totally to an end, and you know having an eclipse going through your tenth house or having one of the nodes going through your tenth house. Um, in 2011 could really represent the closing of a chapter 
Um, and in this case, it was a transition into a more difficult phase of life represented by the topics of the 10th house. But um, the nodes have kind of come full circle where um, they're on that axis again. And, you know, December 4th is going to be the final eclipse um, in Sagittarius before the nodes change sign. And this also just so happens to be the time when you decided to write into a couple of astrologers and go like, hey, things have been rough, mm-hmm. what's going on? So, you know, maybe maybe the, the upcoming eclipse and the change of the nodes um, into Taurus and Scorpio might be, you know, a sign of that chapter coming. Yeah to a close and hopefully you know the the chapter that you're entering or or what's being left behind or left in the dark as a result of um this eclipse will um actually represent you know a movement towards something more positive like leaving the the dark chapter behind you yeah exactly that's very well put actually (laughs) Uh, sometimes you know the things that are being closed out you know the things that are that are ending being signified uh by Eclipses are, are things that you want to end. Just when you're thinking about the ending of a chapter, right? Uh, if you're writing a book or reading a book, you know, you're closing, the, the writer is tying up loose ends, closing out uh, elements of a storyline. And I tend to think of the South Node can be a bit like that. It's like sort of pulling in all the threads um, of a story and just sort of like tying them off. But, um, one timing technique that I have been getting more interested in lately is for Daria. And this period that you're describing, you would have began a major kind of for Daria period around December 27th, 2010, when you would have entered a, a Saturn for Daria period. You've been basically in that period since then. And um, this new period, a Jupiter for Daria period, uh, is beginning uh, December 6th excuse me, December 26th of 2021. Um, and it's, it's a Jupiter period. So, you know, there is at least one indication there that um, you might be moving into something a, a little more favorable. You know, we, we do tend to like Jupiter a little more than we like Saturn, right? <laughs> or at least in terms of uh, ease and um, things just sort of going our way. So Jupiter uh, will be entering Pisces. Is that um, before... January or um, be like right around it the enters. Yeah, it's both. It's funny both the Fredaria uh, period and uh, the ingress of Jupiter into Pisces are beautifully timed. Jupiter enters Pisces on December twenty eighth, which is literally the day after Mister Icarus's birthday, and the Fredaria period changes over on December twenty sixth, which is the day before <laughs> his birthday. That's, it's, it's very cool. I mean, I always look at the solar return. Um, it's obviously not the only timing technique that, that I use, um, but it definitely gives you a taste of some of the overall themes are, are going to be for that year. And Jupiter, you know, it's like just about to enter Pisces. It's sort of a signal that like, you know, maybe there's like some things that you still have to like tie up, you know, before you can, before like the, all the. The bounty of Jupiter flows in, you know, but um, I would see that as pretty favorable still. Like it's, uh, I don't know, what is it? Uh, I can't remember who described it like this, but planets um, at the very end of a sign, you know, just as like they're about to get into like one of their domiciles or their exaltation. It's like they're very excited. You get like anerotic planets, right? That are like at the very end where they're like tired, they're kind of worn out. 
but like when they're about to go into a, a domicile of theirs, they're like hopeful and sort of like energized. They're sort of like, oh, I'm about to, about to get to Disneyland. We're almost there. I can't wait. Yeah, like the drive there. You know, we took a long road trip to Disneyland and the drive there was exhausting. And I got in a fight with my brother a bunch of <laughs> yeah. times and I was hungry and had to pee a lot and couldn't find anywhere to go, you know, but like once I get there, like I know I'm almost oh, yeah. there and once I get there, everything's going to be great. That's kind of the transition from one sign to a sign of exaltation or domicile yeah. for our planet. Um, I took a look uh, at Mr. Icarus's annual perfections, which is my preferred timing technique um, that I use in conjunction with transits. It just kind of helps to uh, see which which transits to pay the most attention to that are being the most highlighted in any given year, and they change over on somebody's birthday. So you know, there's a whole there's a whole lot going on around your birthday, Mr. Icarus. Um, so using annual perfections, which highlight a different house every year, um, you're currently in a third house year, um, and Saturn is in your third house. So that, you know, makes a lot of sense that you're really kind of feeling it right now. That's going to activate that Saturn opposition in your chart that might, you know, sometimes correlate with these scenarios of feeling very stuck. Yeah. And I'll just add real quick. Uranus is also, uh, hanging out right there too by Saturn and opposing Mars. So, I mean, you're, you maybe are extra feeling the, uh, the restlessness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. With Uranus being present during a third house year in yeah. the third house, that's definitely an important transit to look at. Um, but you are going to move into a fourth house year and that will make Mercury your personal Lord of the year. Um, so Mercury will be, uh, the planet to pay attention to and anything transiting through the sign of Gemini as well will be important to pay attention to in the upcoming year. Um, and this is where I think that when you're interpreting perfections and transits, as I said earlier, you know, always go back to the natal chart and see like what is promised by the natal chart or indicated by the natal chart. Um, and so what is indicated by Mercury in this chart is, you know, what I was describing earlier where Mercury is going through this kind of dramatic um, transition from one state to another. And, you know, Mercury is moving away from being the evening star and moving towards being the morning star in Mr. Icarus's chart. Um, and the story I feel like that part of Mercury's cycle tells is, you know, the story of Mercury spends a certain amount of time acting as a psychopomp, which is, you know, a, a guide to souls transitioning into the afterlife. So when I think of evening star Mercury, I tend to think of Mercury in that role, uh, Mercury in the role of going into the dark places. Um, but when Mercury is a morning star, I tend to think of that more as, as Mercury's more sort of above ground role of, you know, being more about, um, sorry, the dog keeps <laughs> sneezing in the background. <laughs> That's what that was. It sounded like honking. something crashing and breaking. That's... He's honking. <laughs> he drank water too fast and is, um, suffering ah. the consequences. 
Yeah, and I think of that transition between the evening star and the morning star. I think of Mercury as kind of like emerging from the underworld and um, into the light and becoming sort of more active in the day-to-day world. So if, you know, that story is a part of your own story, Mr. Icarus, in a significant way, um, this year would be one of the years where that story becomes really prominent. Um and Mercury is in the 11th house um, in your natal chart, um, which is the house of communities, um, alliances, friendships, um, social networks, all that kind of stuff. And it is also, it is considered the house that supports the 10th house. So the 11th house doesn't necessarily represent career, but it is um, those things that are foundational or act as a support structure to one's career. Um, so, you know, it's, it's making me think that this year will be an important one in terms of like building a supportive foundation for your career. It's not necessarily like, um, you know, major, major active career moves are not necessarily the major theme of this year. Not to say they can't happen, like you have, you know, free will, anything can happen. But um, thematically, it's sort of saying, like, pay attention to the foundation upon which your career and your role in the world is built. Um, and the, the sources and networks of support that that is built on, like focus on um, reaching out to community and networking and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And not taking those connections for for granted too you know uh another important thing to pay attention to during a mercury year are the mercury retrograde periods um those are extra significant when mercury is your lord of the year um and an interesting thing about the upcoming mercury retrograde periods in 2022 is that each one of them is going to span two signs so you know, if there wasn't an already, as if there wasn't enough symbolism, um, both in this chart and in, in the timing techniques right now of sort of being um, between two worlds or being on a bridge between two worlds and undergoing something transitional, um, the retrograde periods that you're going to get in your Mercury year actually straddle two signs every time. And so they will bounce between two houses every time they happen. Um, so the the retrograde periods coming up in 2022. Um, there's one from January 14th to February 3rd um, that will happen in Aquarius and Capricorn. Um, and that one will hit the 11th house and you'll have a Mercury return uh, during that retrograde period. Um, so that will be an important one to pay attention to. Um, and then from May 2nd to June 2nd, Mercury will be retrograde. Uh, it will move from Gemini and retrograde into Taurus. Um, and since this is a fourth house year, um, that uh, when Mercury is in Gemini, it will transit through the fourth house. So that will be another really important one um, to pay attention to. You know, maybe something significant goes on around that time yeah i know there will be a mars retrograde as well 
around that time period through Gemini. Oh, that's a double whammy. Is that around the same time as Mercury retrograde? Yeah, there are, there are three. So I think there are four, but the fourth one next year is going to happen in really late December after um, Mr. Chris's next birthday. So it's not as relevant because Mercury uh, won't be a Time Lord um, for its fourth retrograde period, but the January to February, May to June, and September to October retrogrades next year. Definitely keep an eye on those. Yeah, I would also keep an eye on, see, it'll be August that uh, Mars enters Gemini, and it's going to go through retrograde cycle there. Um, And it's going to be staying there basically for the rest of the fourth house year. So maybe things to, to look out for is, you know, Issues around, you know, home and family, obviously, and through the, the fourth house, second. And especially because, you know, this Uranus um, opposition with Mars and the conjunction with Saturn, especially because we're getting, you know, activations of both of those planets. Um, you know, we have the ongoing Saturn-Uranus square. Gets aggravated every time Mars makes a hard aspect with, with both of them. You're rather tied up in that cycle as well. So it's a, it's a rough, it's been a rough year, I would say, for, for the fixed sign folk. And um, while, you know, we're not entirely out of the woods yet, uh, I, I think that once Uranus ends up <laughs> separating from Saturn for good, which in your case, it's probably not going to be until 2023. I'm a little more, I'm a little less worried about the conjunction with Saturn, though. Uh, than the the opposition with Mars. There can be kind of maybe an excess of energy of like uh, wanting to find the solutions to the problems, but sometimes, you know, making a mess of things when you're you're trying to fix stuff. So I would maybe exercise caution in, um, I don't know, making maybe sudden abrupt changes even. There could be like opportunities that open up the, that you may just need to like explore a little bit before before you dive in. But uh, overall, going along with what Tristan was saying, um, this this kind of coming year being a year of, of transitions. It's not so much the, at least astrologically, don't necessarily see this as the year where like um, you go from like rags to riches per se, but you know where things uh, start to shift, where some solutions start um, appearing and maybe the way forward starts to become a little clearer, but there's still sort of work to be done. Yeah, and if you know if there's something like say a potential career change, um, which you know it is that is it, it's never too late to um, you know get training or change direction. Um, oh yeah, but that is obviously something that that takes time. Yeah, um, you know I'm in in a situation like a lot of folks where um, you know the area I was working in. I don't want to call it industry because I was working for the church. So that <laughs> seems weird. <laughs> but yeah, like that's <laughs> sort of, it's, uh, I, I don't know that I'd call it an industry, but you know, where the, my, my method of employment um, prior to the pandemic is just not really an option anymore. Um, and I am also, you know, unemployed and um, am making a transition into being an astrologer full time. Um, but that's, you know, the kind of thing like, there are lots of opportunities for astrologers right now. And it's one of those professions that's very flexible because you can 
do so much online and you can meet with people online. So you don't have to, um, meet with people in person. Um, but it's still a, it still takes a while to sort of get yourself established in something new. Um, so I wonder if, you know, that might be sort of what's going on with this upcoming year where there is, uh, there are opportunities for a change of direction, but you know, it's not, not like you're going to be well-established right out of the gate and, you know, Mercury being retrograde in your chart and, um, going through these kind of funny retrograde cycles next year, you know, sometimes that's a little bit about like, um, things just, you know, taking the time that they need to take like having to, you know, sort of go back in a sense and take like a training program or a course or something like that. Um, you know, later in life, it can feel almost mm-hmm. like going backwards to go forwards. And that's kind of, you know, part of the symbolism of Mercury retrograde is maybe going backwards to go forwards. Yeah, Mercury year is going to look a lot like that. And, you know, funny thing is something that Tristan and I have in common with you, Mr. Icarus, is that we all have our, our first house rulers in Scorpio. So there's a lot, uh, I think, going on for the, the fixed signs. We've got Uranus going through opposing all of our Scorpio stuff. But now we have, you know, a series of eclipses coming through. And while eclipses can be a little scary, uh, if you're familiar with tarot, it's a little bit like drawing the death card, which, you know, can scare people. It, but it's also, um, you know, a time of change and time where, you know, letting old things go that need to go uh, to make space for, for new things. And again with the you know the transition it's it's speaking very loudly that this is like a transformative uh, time it's just not all going to happen overnight i think that's maybe something that uh people get wrapped up in with scorpio is like the the transformation thing but like uh, you know it's a fixed sign you know the things the, the those changes take a long time to happen you know it's like you got to reroute all the plumbing sort of build the new foundation I did. Uh, I don't actually use solar returns a lot in my practice, but um, solar returns were were asked about in in the question. So I decided to take a peek at your solar return chart as well. Um, And when you're using solar returns in conjunction with perfections, um, it is important to look at where the Lord of the Year lands in the solar return chart. Um, so also I'll put Mr. Icarus's solar return chart in the show notes as well. If anybody wants to look at it and follow along, um, I'm just going to briefly mention a couple of things. So the one interpretive principle I just mentioned is look at where the Lord of the year falls in the solar return. So Mr. Icarus's upcoming Lord of the year is Mercury, and that is located, um, in the sixth house in the solar return chart. Um, and the ruler of the solar return ascendant is the sun, <laughs> which is also in the sixth house. Get him. Get him, Keith. So, so, well, is going to get Keith now. Um, so both both the Lord of the Year and the, the ruler of the solar return ascendant are in the sixth house, which makes the sixth house pretty heavily emphasized in the solar return chart. Um and so, you know, you have themes of, of long-suffering patience and of service that come up there. And I think that when I see that, I see an indication of, an, a sort of reinforcing indication 
that this is a good time to reach out to people who are in similar difficult circumstances. Yeah. You know, if there are ways that you can be of service to people who are going through what you're going through. Another interpretive principle when you're combining perfections with solar return charts is um, to look at where the sign activated by the perfection is in the solar return chart. So it's a fourth house year for Mr. Icarus, which activates the sign of Gemini. So using this technique, you would look for where is Gemini in the solar return chart. And in this case, it's in the 11th house. Um, so I thought that was kind of beautiful because it's reinforcing like, you know, you have Mercury in the 11th house in your natal chart. Um, the solar return chart is highlighting the 11th house and the sixth house. So I just, I feel yeah. like there are all of these really, really reinforcing themes of how can you connect with people who are going through what you're going through right now? Yeah. Um, you're not, you know, the, the sixth house is a difficult place when, when we're in that place, it can feel a bit like treading water. Um, but that is also a place where we can reach out and, um, be helpful, uh, to people who feel that way as well, um, to kind of shine a light, um, into those places where, you know, people are, are going through delays and difficulties, um, so yeah, that's like my my sort of major overwhelming piece of advice is um, you know, look to friends and communities and building networks of support. And um, you know, the other major thing I think that would be valuable to focus on is foundations. Um, you know, as I was saying with the 11th house, that's the foundation of your career, but in a 4th house year, um the fourth house represents, you know, the foundation of your whole life. It is your home. It is your inner life. It's what your whole chart stands on. Um, so I feel like this is the year to really focus on your inner life and your foundations, um, you know, both of your life as a whole, um, you know, your home, but also the, the foundations on which um, a career might be built and maybe, you know, a career that has more potential for longevity, right? Like, building that firm foundation now sets it up so that, you know, you hopefully don't have to encounter a situation like this again in the future. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing that's making me think of too, is that on the note of the sixth house and like reaching out to finding people who are in a similar situation, it, it, it's, you know, having had uh, experiences of, of being, you know, pretty, pretty broke uh, <laughs> at different points in my life, what can end up happening is that, you know, you sort of band together with people in uh, similar circumstances and you sort of end up creating almost like little micro economies where, you know, the resources that you have access to, uh, however limited they may be, you know, when you're teaming up with other people, um, you know, you can sort of join forces and um, support each other. And it's also making me think of, you know, in, in the email that you, you mentioned that you started uh, struggling with a frozen shoulder since about August. And, you know, speaking of career transitions, uh, you know, I've been a massage therapist for about 10 years and it's a career I'm in the process of transiting out of, but it, it's, uh, I can't help but, you know, <laughs> at least I can offer a couple tidbits of advice, but, you know, also on that note of reaching out to, to people in similar situations, you know, maybe somebody uh, in a group knows a thing or two about massage and maybe you guys can um can exchange you know skills 
to some degree, even if uh, you're all sort of struggling in, in different areas. But one thing I'll, I'll recommend is the doorway stretch. Have <laughs> uh, you kind of lay your forearm against a doorway and uh, lean into your arm, essentially, and just basically opening the, the pec up. That, that's one stretch you can do. There's also like sort of a crossbody stretch, like, you know, crossing your arm over your chest, you know, from uh, the opposite side. These are things you can you can look up online. But, you know, frozen shoulder, it really sort of ties into this overall theme of like frozen shoulder is not uh, having worked with it. it. It's not something that goes away super quickly. It's something that takes time to to heal and to address. And sometimes it's painful and it's a long term process. And, you know, the, the work that you have to do on it is painful in and of itself. Um, trying to stretch it hurts, but you still have to do it. And um, that does seem to be a bit of a theme. And the shitty part about, you know, when, you're, when you get in a, a sort of rut in life, getting out of it is often a painful process in and of itself. But it sucks more when, you know, you don't really feel like you're, you're moving in a direction. And I, I would say that, like, astrology-wise, while it looks like there's, you know, um, mountains to climb ahead still, there are paths ahead opening. One thing you haven't had since 2011 is uh, a Jupiter transiting through your your first house. I would, uh, yeah, I would seek out seek out support from the people around you. Maybe like a bit of a um, a lot of this can be you know maybe related to coronavirus too. You mentioned that um, the travel industry is is really suffering due to coronavirus, and it may be something that that just kind of requires some waiting out until that passes. Sometimes in the process of, you know, rebuilding, you know, you got to cut back, cut, cut things down, you know, eliminate things and having um, the South Node going through Scorpio and have some eclipses there um, that there may be a need to, to slim things down a little bit to, to trim some fat. Yeah. I kind of like to think of it as like, if you're training for a marathon, you know, you got to like uh, get real strict with your diet and real strict with your, you know, your training uh, regime. And that means like eliminating, you know, eliminating the ice cream and uh, maybe not watching TV as much and, you know, sort of buckling down and getting getting focused. I'm glad you mentioned Jupiter's. There's one one last little brief transit uh, coming up that I want to note, which is that when Jupiter enters Pisces, it will start squaring uh, Mr. Icarus's moon in Sagittarius. Mm. And um, one fun thing you can do with perfections is that you can perfect from any house in the chart. Um, you know, the overall, overall, you know, usually perfect from the ascendant um, and see where we end up. But if you're um, examining what a particular area of life um, is going to look like in the coming year, you can perfect from the house that's relevant to that topic. So, in a fourth house year, if you perfect four houses from the second house, which is work and finances, um, you end up at the fifth house, which in Mr. Icarus's chart is ruled by the moon. So the moon becomes sort of a lord of the year um, as far as work and finances are concerned. And Jupiter uh, squaring that is like, that's a pretty positive transit to have when, mm -hmm. you know, the moon is uh, looking out for your finances or, you know, just your resources and um, that kind of thing. So, you know, maybe, maybe something, maybe a, a sign of 
positive things to come. Definitely. Just, yeah, um, really leaning into, you know, cultivating support system. Well, you know, best of luck to you, Mr. Icarus. I hope that um, that you start seeing some Im- improvements this year and, you know, just hang in there. You know, I'm also sorry to hear you're going through such a rough time. And, you know, I really appreciate you writing into us. And, you know, I hope we were able to, to give you a little a little light in, you know, these difficult times. Yeah, keep us updated. Let us know how, how things are going. Yeah, let us know. Let us know how the year ahead unfolds and, you know, if any of the themes we've talked about become relevant. And I hope it's I hope it's a good year. I hope you have an amazing birthday and an amazing solar return. Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up for today. What do you have going on, Tristan? I am uh still doing all all kinds of readings uh over Zoom. <laughs> so I uh can do birth chart readings, um, you know, year ahead forecast type readings and synastry readings like relationship readings. Uh, if you want to compare your chart with the chart of someone important in your life, see what astrology has to say about that. Um, you can visit my website at badsignastrology.ca and book a reading with me there. Um, I have been doing a fair amount of writing and, you know, trying to create content and resources for um, astrology enthusiasts and people learning astrology. So you can find my writing on my website. Um, you can also find it on Tumblr at Bat Sign Astrology. And uh, you can find more of my content on my Instagram, which is also at Bad Sign Astrology. What about you, Kyle? Um, similarly, uh, you know, also all doing all the... All those readings, you know, um, you can book a reading with me on my website, kylepierceastrology.com. I've also been uh, rather avidly studying horary lately. Um, I'm going to be doing some, uh, offering some like free, you know, readings, um, probably not through my website. If you join the Ask Astrologers Facebook group, I'm probably going to send out a request for just, you know, I want to hear some some questions and do some answers and uh, get some feedback on it because uh, I want to, you know, test out my my horary skills because I would like to start um, offering horary um, in addition to, to natal consultations here in the nearish future. I am excited that you're learning horary. I'm going to send you questions. Yeah, please do. This horary I, is so fun. It's what's nice about horary too is you can test it. It's um, you know more short term, mm-hmm. so you expect to get like the answer to the the question. In reality, you know, within a few days or a week or so, so you can check your work and see what you what you got wrong or what you got right. So that'll be fun. But yeah, uh, I kind of want to give. Uh, should we give like Shay a little plug too? Yeah, we should. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, uh, Shay is. Uh, I want to just say thank you to Shay for sending in her question. Uh, Shay is an amazing tarot card reader. So our our question about sextiles and trines uh, came from my good friend Shay, who, uh, as Cal just mentioned, is an incredible tarot reader, and you should totally book with her. Um, And she also does, she has an Etsy shop um, where... She does like custom tarot spread layouts and all kinds of cool stuff. And she's got a Patreon, um, you know, she, she does a bit of astrology as well. So definitely check her out. You can find her on Instagram 
at Lightning Wildflower. And uh, there's a link on her Instagram profile to her Patreon and a bunch of the stuff that she is doing. Yeah, she's great. Highly recommend her. Um, And also, if you want to learn a bit more about um, reading tarot, you can uh, join her group every every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, and uh, Tristan and I are there. You know, we'd be there every week if we could, but sometimes we... We just have to record this like dumb show. So much work. <laughs> yeah, when we're not recording, we are uh, there uh, in the group every Thursday, 6 p.m. And, you know, she sort of leads the discussion on a tarot card every week and slowly making making our way through the whole deck. Yeah, it's, it's super fun. It's uh, hosted on the Clubhouse app, which... Um, you know, for those of you who don't use Clubhouse, it's like a really nice, uh, it's, it's a nice conversation format. Um, you know, even if you're pretty shy, like it's very accessible and easy to use and low stress. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll include a link to that, uh, Clubhouse group as well, uh, in the show notes, if you are interested in joining us and listening to what, Kyle and Shay and myself and all the other lovely folks in that group have to say about the tarot cards. Yeah. And you can also, you know, participate and share. Yeah. Share your stories about your experiences with the cards. Yep. And then, um, yeah. Thanks again, Mr. Icarus. Um, best of luck to you. And we will, we'll see you all next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you'd like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline, please send us an email at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com. Attention listeners, Astrology Hotline is at war. At war with unanswered astrology questions. We have the weapons, we have the training, but to achieve ultimate victory, we need your help. I want you to take out your phone, open up Apple Podcasts, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, crush all five stars, and rain down a righteous review of furious satisfaction. I want you to open up Spotify, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, and launch one high-speed thumb of flaming death at that five-star rating. And I want you to find the gnarliest, most insidious astrology question you can find Email it to astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com so we can slaughter it mercilessly on the show. Together, we can conquer astrology one question at a time.